This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Today on Shareable, a courage champion who is unapologetically authentic. Yvonne Alston is a DEI advocate and strategist. She's the founder and principal of Indelible Impressions Consulting in Connecticut. And when we talk about inspiring change in organizations and society as a whole, we use the approach of learning and love, addressing both the head and the heart. This is Yvonne on Shareable. Welcome. Oh my gosh, that is an amazing intro. Thank you so much, Jeff. Dude, so excited to be here. Like, I'm super so excited. glad to have you. And I think that um, the really fun part for me is that we have only met recently in like the last like month and a half or whatever it was introduced mm-hmm. by a friend of ours. And like the few conversations that we have had, it's like we immediately get into like a, a momentum that could carry us for hours of just like chatting about life and what's going on in the world and business. And like, we just vibe on such a good level. So I'm so excited to have you on here to just talk about what it is that you do, what you're passionate about, because it, it emanates out of you in every conversation that we've had. So I'm, I'm just really excited. Um, so where should we even start? Let's, let's start here. Let's talk a little bit about your work to sort of contextualize where this conversation may go, because you and I can follow a lot of different threads and go in different places. So let's contextualize it. Talk about the work that you do a little bit. So people understand kind of the perspective you're coming from. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so indelible impressions consulting, right? Um, my baby (laughs) straight from the heart delivered, uh, to, to those in the world, I hope uh, as a gift and a way to bring us, uh, together. Um, I am a firm believer that what connects us is far greater than what separates us. Um, and as such, The goal of Indelible Impressions is really to work with organizations and individuals to bridge the gap of difference um, in enabling us essentially to figure out what are our hangups, what are our biases, what are our stereotypes, what are the things that keep us, the barriers that keep us from engaging more deeply with one another, from learning and growing from one another. How do we figure out what those are How do we pinpoint them? How do we uh, engage, whether it's in some form of education through workshops or trainings to understand ourselves and one another better and so that we can engage better and um, taking various tools and, and aspects of the work that I do to then not only impart Uh, education and concepts and tips and so forth into the minds of individuals, not just embedding those there, but in the heart. Because for me, I have always felt uh, that the heart is a place of sustainable change, right? I can sit here, I can do workshops and trainings and give this information and people can take copious notes and file it away in their brains. And then they walk away like, yeah, that was good. Okay, I've learned some things, right? But it's very different when you walk away and it has changed the lens of your perspective. It has changed how you feel about others, how you feel about possibility and relationships, and then internally how you feel about yourself. And so I feel like 
if those that I engage with can walk away and say, I know better, but I know better in such a way that it makes me want to do better. Like my heart is changed too. And so now my actions follow my head and my heart. That's, that's everything. That's, that's the win for me. And so when I go into organizations, I say that I tell CEOs and COOs, I just want you to know, I'm not just here for your workforce's minds. I'm here for their heads and their hearts and watch them kind of sit back on Zoom and, or in person and go, oh, wow, like she's not playing around <laughs> because I want the change to come and I want it to be authentic and I want it to transcend the workplace. I want it to go, I want to throw a rock in the biggest pond of society and watch the ripples blow out far and wide. This is why you and I just get along so well, because like, I'm just like, I'm so on this same level and so mm-hmm. this same vibe about impact. I recently, so I'm a part of uh, a couple nonprofits and one of the nonprofits recently, um, you know, we've been in both of the nonprofits and I've been advocating for, you know, DEI training and just more awareness because, it, you know, um, there's generally just not enough in the, in the spaces that I've been in. And they bring in a DEI consultant recently. And this DEI consultant's entire perspective is very much around, um, we only really care about how, you know, the behaviors and the impact at work. And, and she was very much like, I'm not a DEI consultant that's on the social justice train. And I don't really believe in using words like white supremacy because I think it creates uh, a difficulty of bridging the gap and this and that and the other thing. She was, she was in that paper in Philly recently. But um, I, I was kind of rubbed the wrong way about that, partly because I think, to your point, this work isn't just about what we do at work. This work matters out in the world. You can't show up at work, be a certain type of person, go home and put on your clan robes. Like, it doesn't work like that. You can't, you can't leave that sort of thing at home. And I like this idea of making the impact and the ripples in the, the pond of society by really addressing you know, how we see each other and changing the way people's hearts relate to that. So I really appreciate that. I was thinking this morning about um, the, you know, the division that's going on in this country in general and how difficult it is to bridge the gap between people who see things from such a different perspective. Um, When you're working in organizations, you'll have differences of opinion, but typically they don't reach quite that level. But what, what's, sort of the biggest challenge that you come up against in organizations doing this kind of work? Because changing people's hearts outside of work is difficult. I'd imagine with the barrier of like professionalism and we're at work, it can be a lot more difficult to talk about things like this in that particular way. How do you address that? What are some of the challenges that come with it? Uh, wow. Um, I will, I will be really transparent and say, you know, my work and my, my day often starts with prayer for me, because I feel like I need that spiritual fortitude to go into, because it really is a battle, right? You're battling against what already exists in people's hearts and minds. And so when you go in after that, you got to make sure you're equipped, right? So that's part of uh, the process for me. It's going in and realizing that number one, um, how people came to think and feel, oftentimes they have had little control over, right? People have grown up in environments that have contributed to and shaped how they think and how they feel, especially about others, right? It's like 
when we think about racism, it's oftentimes grandfathered in to us and ingrained in us, sometimes in very subtle, but also very overt ways, right? It's, it's this notion of, you know, I had perhaps not myself, but a potential participant, right? Where I had a grandfather who felt this way and who would always say like crazy stuff about, this particular type of people or that particular type of people. And even though I may not have had any direct negative experiences with a particular demographic, that's in my head. And I grew up with that. And that is what uh, contributed to how I see someone. And then there's media, right? Which has a huge impact. And it even starts when we're little kids, which is why you have uh, organizations right now, even like Disney, looking back at their portfolio of work and saying, oh my gosh, like this was really like bad. This was really sexist or this was really racist. Like this whole thing with Pepe Le Pew, which my husband works for ESPN. And so we were having a conversation the other day about that with Disney. And I was like, really Pepe Le Pew? And it, it was like, he was sexist. He, 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 you know, grabbed women, female, you know, skunks and kissed all over them. And I was like, <laughs> like, wow, you know, I hadn't even necessarily thought about that. So, you know, those are all the influences that we have that get us to this place. By the time that we're adults, those things are already ingrained in us and maybe very below the surface. And we might still see each other, see ourselves as not being racist, of not having racist ideologies, of not supporting racism in any way. But there are certain things that we may think or see um, that uh, make us react differently, right? And so for me, it's going in and, and giving people the space to say, listen, I understand that how you think and how you feel actually may not be your fault. It may be how you were brought up. But if you would so indulge me and allow me, can you just for a brief period of time, whatever that is, kind of take down those notions, kind of empty out that box, if you will, and let me fill it with some other information and then kind of let that rub up against what you think you already know, how you already feel to see if, if potentially you may have been thinking about something not necessarily wrong, but from a very limited perspective. Could you open, you know, and I usually started also with encouraging people and letting them know that, you know, uh, we're an advanced society. And so I know that a lot of you uh, are able to look at things from different perspectives. And so I am, you know, championing that in this meeting and in this space. I want you to know that psychological safety uh, exists here. Uh, compassion and empathy exists here. This is not about me judging you. This is about us having the opportunity to learn even from one another so that we can do better um, as a group, as you can do better as a team and as an organization, and that we can make uh, optimal impact in society, in our families, in our communities where we live and move and exist. So the doing this in the work environment presents like so many interesting challenges at the same time as it presents some opportunities that you don't get outside. So my, my thinking goes that um, one of the challenges of 
the impact of DEI work outside of the work environment is that people are products of their environment. So for instance, if um, you know, you're a white male and you leave work and you primarily hang out with and are friends with and are surrounded by primarily people in a homogenous kind of group, very similar to you, right. you're exposed to other perspectives and other cultures and other, you know, ways of behaving and thinking, et cetera, that may make it difficult for you to connect with and interact with. And I think, you know, the exposure is often a really good antidote to people's closed-minded thinking. In the workspace, you have the ability to somewhat affect that by, by creating more diverse cultures and you're creating the opportunity for people to see things from different lenses. So you have the challenge of doing the, you know, at work, you can't really change what happens to people outside of work. So that's, that's a potential challenge I see there. Um, on the, on the bright side though, I feel like, um, there's, there's a real opportunity to create a, um, a scenario for people to try on new ideas in doing that, though, at least in the outside world, people have the ability to potentially walk away and come back to a situation later. Whereas at work, if a conflict arises from doing this work, there's the challenge of, okay, what if you have two opposing points of view that can't seem to get along? You have to do something. You either have to get them to be able to work together or you have to get rid of somebody on the team. So have you dealt with any of the complications of like going into a company, doing the DEI work, having people try things on? and bubbling up issues to the surface that were prior to that kind of sitting below the surface. Yeah. And once they bubble up, you kind of have to deal with the output of that. What's that been like for you? Um, so I will tell you that, you know, I've worked with various leaders to say, okay, now we've done these workshops, we've done these trainings. And as a result, especially when it comes to courageous conversations, right, you really start to get to the underbelly of things. You really start to lift up the hood and be like, okay, what's really going on in here? And people just, um, inadvertently out themselves, so to speak, right? They're thinking their perspectives and, and what do leaders do with that information? And I actually just had that scenario with a client who was like, hey, now, you know, based on how certain people have reacted to the workshops and the training, I can tell that these people are, some of them are really blatant racist. Some of them um, have some really jacked up ideologies. Um, some people were literally came to me and said, you know, I'm offended that we even had to do this. Um, I have a right to think and feel however I want to think and feel. And I come to the workplace and I do my work and I do my job really effectively. And kind of who I am at the core of my personal morals and value system is really kind of like none of your business. And so that was really interesting to me. And the leader was saying, you know, how do I deal with this? And I said to them, I said, you know, culture is so much more than what you do. What you have within your wall, so to speak, is so much bigger than the transactional nature. And I said, and these individuals have a way of really negatively impacting your environment that can be extremely costly to you as the business leader. And so you have to make a couple of decisions. One is looking at the individuals and saying, is the, uh, I guess you could say the economic value, right, of this person being a part of my organization because of their output worth holding on to and continuing to work with? Is there enough of an openness kind of within them that we can work through some of these challenges if I can articulate to them the additional value 
um, of their feelings, their morals, their beliefs, and how that impacts the workforce overall. Um, and, and can this person, can I access some point within that individual to help them to understand that? Or if they are so closed off, I have to think about the risk. You think about risk mitigation, right? As an employer and as a leader, is it worth the risk keeping this person as part of my workforce? That could negatively impact and affect the rest of the culture in the workforce. And so it's not just about the people on the teams, but I, when I spoke to a leader, I said, you know, think about client interactions and how they, their perspective um, and how they see things. And if they are, uh, I guess you could say in one way, as un unapologetically authentic about their racism as I am about anti-racism, imagine that what a couple of slighted comments um, or engaging in a certain dialogue or behavior, how that could impact that client relationship and thus impact your bottom line or how someone hearing about an engagement with this individual could impact your ability to attract and retain certain talent. So you need to be thinking as a business leader that it's not just about that one individual and what happens within the walls of the organization, but how that can bleed out and impact your business in so many other different facets. And that was one thing the leader stepped back and went, I had not thought about it from that perspective. And so they're now looking at certain individuals and they're going to try to work with them through, uh, you know, various uh, modes within the organization, through human resources, through additional work that the organization is doing. Um, for uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and uh, see what happens. But they're now, you know, they kind of have a roster, if you will, of folks of like, okay, we really need to be looking at some of these individuals more closely um, and to see how they are impacting culture. And for some of these individuals, I know they're in management. And so it was like, we really need to be looking at these individuals because almost like we think of it as parents, right? You're a parent, I'm a parent. What I model in front of my child has a huge impact on who they become. And it's the same way in the workplace with management. That was so beautifully put together. And the thing that immediately occurred to me is how frustrating it is that we even have to frame the conversation around equity in dollar terms, right? That mm -hmm. the way that you can get some people to actually hear that this is important is not, this is the right thing because human beings, but right, right. we have to have some sort of a conversation about the profitability of taking this particular approach. Um, what do you feel is the likelihood of us changing the culture at large? The culture of work where we're so focused on bottom line and the return on investment of different activities, and you bring in something like DEI, which typically people will think of, oh, that's a culture thing. That's the, we need to pay attention to. You know, there it's sort of framed not in a way like you would talk about marketing and sales and operations and finance. It's framed as like this other thing, like, oh, we're going to do this for like the, the people in the culture or because like things are really bad right now and we should really do that, you know, with all of the killing of unarmed black men. Uh, we should really do something about our DEI here, right? So- mm -hmm. There's this um, this different way of looking at it, and I'm curious: Are we going in your in your mind? I mean, you just painted that beautifully. Are we actually going to have to keep talking about this in terms of what it means to the finances of the company, 
Or do you think that there's a way that we could potentially have a, a, a mass amount of change without it needing to actually impact the bottom line? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think it varies from organization to organization. It's kind of where are they in terms of them seeing the value of the whole individual, right? And what they can bring to the table if they are allowed to, right? How much value the organization can get out of an unapologetically authentic Yvonne, right? And I know for myself, I am when I'm not oppressed um, and I'm not kept down and out of certain rooms, that I was more creative, that I was more dedicated. When I felt like the organization really cared about me and cared for me, I'm willing to work longer, work harder. There's, there's so many other benefits that organizations can get. They can, you know, obviously the business case for DEI it exists for a reason, right? It's because we need to make these leaders aware of these are the benefits um, to diversity, equity, and inclusion for your organization. For some of them, it is the, the entrance conversation. It is around dollars. They need to understand before I go out and pay a consultant to do this, or I bring somebody into the fold who this is their position as a chief diversity officer or, um, you know, heading up a DEI council or whatever it is, depending obviously if they're for-profit versus nonprofit, is I've got to get some ROI out of it. What's in it for me? Helping them to understand both the qualitative and the quantitative benefits of it. But that said, some people will start with one versus the other. My goal, my hope is that we can get there and swing the pendulum towards, hey, I care enough about my workforce that this is essential. I want my employees in all of their various facets of identity and all of their intersectionality to feel like they can bring themselves to the workplace, that they can be themselves, that they can wear, for example, I'll say as a black woman, my hair naturally if I so choose to, and that's considered just as professional as if I had a nice relaxer or, you know, a nice flat press um, that, you know, we're seeking out different opinions um, because our uh, client base and our prospects and our stakeholders are just as varied and diverse and a mosaic of this world. And so we want to hear those diverse voices because we understand that that enables us to better position ourselves, understand the needs, the wants, um, the angst, right, for whatever our product or service is delivering against, right? And so having those people as part of the conversations and the solutioning only makes us that much more effective, only makes us able to better deliver um, on our value propositions. And again, whatever our product or service is, right? So understanding all of the beneficial elements of that, <coughs> excuse me, but moving away from just the economic standpoint, the economic hook of it all to understand and take the position that, you know what, I care about these people. These people are working to advance whatever cause that we have there here at this organization. And this is my way of showing them that I care for them that I truly care about them. I care about what matters to them. I care about what challenges them. 
And at least here with what I can affect within the walls of this organization, we're gonna do our, our, our gosh darn best to, um, to be there and care for them in, in a really pivotal way. And in hopes that that bleeds out externally and permeates into society in a really meaningful way. A lot of the conversations around DEI and a lot of the examples you've gave you've given um, are very centered around leadership and around um, how people set an example and things like that. I'm curious what your take is on um, sort of the the role based players inside of an organization and what their responsibility is, what their opportunity is to sort of build a groundswell of support for more inclusive environments. Um, how, how do you think the balance of, of that plays out between leadership and the workforce in making these effective, um, moves towards more inclusive environments, more equitable environments? Yeah. Um, two C's, courage and conversations, right? You got to have the courage to call a thing, a thing, to be able to say, uh, what you're experiencing and for there to be a very meaningful exchange between leadership and the workforce, right? Um, not just for leaders to hear what you want to hear and then turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to what uh, offends certain sensibilities or you looking at and saying, oh no, that doesn't happen within my organization. But really hearing the people um, and asking the right questions and then working together to, to solve the issues and to address the concerns. But definitely courage on both ends, courage for the employees to feel like they can speak up without being penalized um, and for leaders to be courageous enough to say, you know what, perhaps if I am a, a white leader and a wealthy white leader and I have not had certain experiences of being part of a marginalized, oppressed, uh, you know, demographic, um, then, you know, I'm still can take down all of my thoughts and notions and actually sit down across from someone and hear them and hear them openly, honestly, and be able to uh, do so and have an exchange with them that contains compassion and empathy, and then take that information back to the remainder of leadership and say, this is something, we need to do something about this. And let the workforce be part of the solution that they wanna see to understand that this is a really important aspect of the relationship that exists and that's what's going to help, I think, bridge certain gaps and barriers. And also, uh, I think, uh, connect people in such a way that there will be so much more uh, affinity, right? And, and love, I almost dare say, between the organization, between the leadership and the workforce as well. You know, when we love a, a brand, right, we buy it. We, we, we put our dollars towards it. Um, we champion it, all of those things. And that's the same thing with the workforce. If you make these investments in the workforce and you show that you really care about them, they will reply in kind with their loyalty. They will reply in kind with solidarity. They'll stand up for you 
if you know you're getting a couple rotten eggs perhaps thrown at you in social media to say uh -uh, wait a minute hold on one second i work for that company and i gotta tell you this is what we're doing and this is who my leader is and this is how they care for us um and so you it's very so beautifully oh my god <laughs> I, I i don't know if in our uh in their previous talks i told you that i'm um uh in the midst of publishing a book that's due out january 2022 and it's called the lovable leader and the, ah! the three principles of level leadership are care, trust, and safe travels. Um, so you have to care for your people, you have to build uh, environments of trust, and you have to create environments of safety where you have destinations and goals and places that you're going. So that's, Love it. you beautifully set me up to say, <laughs> book is due out January, 2022, buy it. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so I want to kind of double back to something related to something we talked about before, the economic incentives and framing it in that way versus yeah. framing it around like doing the right thing. Um, and I was thinking this as you were talking about like getting people to the table to have these courageous conversations and things like that. And I'm wondering what your take is on um, carrot versus stick. Is this an incentive based sort of way that is probably most effective, more of a punitive system? Is it, I mean, I'd imagine in everything it's, it depends, but you know, there's, um, there's, there's a wide variety of people that are doing anti-racism work, DEI work, um, I appreciate that you added the B to yours with belonging, and I want to make sure we touch on that. But um, there are some people who are more like, you know, direct radical conversations, you know, to people's face. Others that are like, no, we have to create an environment that's very safe for people, even if it's bigoted. And like, there's like the whole spectrum of everything in between. In terms of being able to like meaningfully change the culture at a large scale, do you feel that there's more of a need for incentives or punishments to help bring things in line for a better world? Oh, I almost hate this topic, dude. It's so, <laughs> I mean, it's, so it's, it's so big, it's so vast. And you hit the nail on the head when you said that it varies from organization to organization, right? When you think about, I'll take it back to parenting again. If you have multiples, which I do not, doesn't sound like you do either at this yeah. juncture anyway. Yeah. Um, so what I've learned from parents of multiples is how you parent one child is not necessarily how you parent the other child, right? So you may have a child where the carrot approach works for them. And then you have, might have another child where you know, it's got to be sticks. Or maybe you have a, a child who is a combination of both. I think for organizations, it's the same way. Um, I think when you, my recommendation to leaders would be is that when you have such harsh resistance from your management teams in terms of doing this work and employing what's needed to create psychological safety to become a more diverse, equitable, inclusive environment where people feel like they belong. I think that's where the stick approach may work of saying, hey, we're going to tie this to your bonus structure. You're going to be doing X, Y, and Z since you don't want to get on the bandwagon yourself. Here, let me give you a little incentive, <laughs> incentivization, you know, um, we're going to hit you where it hurts most, apparently not in your heart, but apparently in your wallet. And so they do that. Whereas I think that there are other leaders where they come on board automatically and say, yes, I understand the value of this work. I understand the importance. I want to be part of the change that we want to see. And you have my, you have my commitments um, to doing this. So I think that it varies. I think it depends on the organization and can they withstand the challenge of taking that kind of a stance, especially when it comes to, uh, I guess, 
economically penalizing folks for not getting on board because some people might say, really? I, I don't come here to do this. I see our role again as being transactional. So if you're going to start this and you're saying that I have to be part of this and I have to walk this out, like deuces, I'm gone. I'll go somewhere else. Right. So there's a risk there. Um, there's a risk that they might come at it from the standpoint of being very disingenuous about it. Right. And it's almost like people can sniff that out a mile away. If this is just really about compliance and checking a box versus a leader who is really committed and invested in, uh, if you will, the souls of their teams and employees um, and who they are, uh, you can sniff that out and that can have uh, negative impacts as well. Right. And so I think for every organization, you have to understand who your other leaders are in the org, um, what are the risks, inherent risks in this particular approach versus the other, um, and you know what's going to yield uh, the best possible result. And I really do say that that goes on an organization by organization uh, standpoint, but I do think that at a bare minimum, um, there needs to be a reformation of policies and processes that get the ball rolling at least towards pushing for more equity and more inclusivity. And there are ways that organizations can do that in a very overt way and then also in a very covert way. Same way it goes for parenting your children, right? Can I sneak broccoli into the brownies? <laughs> Not that one, but exactly. But you know, there's the broccoli, but yeah, exactly. But you know, it's almost that concept of like, how do we start to infuse some elements of DEI within the organization that aren't so overt, so that the naysayers don't automatically become incensed and rebuff automatically, right? Versus, oh, we've been working towards this. We've been doing this all along and they may not even realize like, oh, we were starting to evolve as a more diverse and inclusive organization for the last six months. And I, I wasn't even aware of it. And so when you get to that place where it's much more uh, over and you really start campaigning more strongly internally, um, I think that people are much more inclined to get on with the bandwagon, but that requires a very strategic approach um, to the organization, to the work, um, and how you're going to go about implementing uh, that strategy, tactics, etc. It's amazing because everyone in their life has probably had an experience of feeling excluded from something, and you would think that that one experience alone, if it was just once, would encourage you to never want to experience that and then ideally probably never want anybody else to have that experience of not feeling included um you got to care enough about other people yeah it, to me it's just foreign that that's like not a thing that just comes standard like uh, five yeah. fingers five toes you know empathy um <laughs> well but, if that's the case we wouldn't have you know murders and yeah. things like that right when we think about even um what's going on right now in, in our society, right? With black lives and, and how they're being taken so uh, frivolously, I will say. Um, so in such a disregarding manner, uh, when I think about even the most recent case with um, uh, the uh, military lieutenant who was pulled over 
Um, and, and that one police officer, you know, making that, that horrible comment to him about riding the lightning. Oh, you should be was the one like, right, ride the lightning. Well, for folks who may be listening to this, that don't know what that means. That basically is like the electric chair. It means death. You're about to ride the lightning. Like you're about to die is basically what he was saying. And he himself, which was even more, I think, disgusting to me is a minority himself, is is an oppressed ethnicity himself. So it was just like, really? But the fact that we would have such indifference towards another human being, such depravity um, is just, it continues to in some ways shock me. but I, I don't know that all of us are born with that gene to your point, like, right? Five fingers, five toes or whatever. However, the bottom line human being, right? A human first perspective in front of me is another human being. I don't have license or right to commit harm unto them. I have the right to protect myself if they're committing harm against me, but I don't have the right to perpetrate harm against another human being. Um, and but that's, it's somehow, I don't know if it's a misgene or if it's just, they've been socialized to, to be this way, to think this way, to feel this way, that there's something that's cut off in their brains and in their hearts that they don't have a fundamental sense of, of uh, human kindness, empathy, compassion, any of the other things that I would think majority of people feel, um, it, it exists. Nonetheless, and it is what allows us as a society for people to think like it's okay to take a life. It's okay for someone to walk up to someone of the API or the AAPI community that is walking and minding their own business and just go up to them and start pummeling them because in your mind, they represent something that is offensive to you in some way. It's just, it, it blows my mind. It blows your mind, right? Because we, we're not cut from that cloth. Um, but there are people that exist and, and justify those things. And so likewise, some of those same people, unfortunately, exist within organizations. So I'm going to ask you one more question. That I think will lead me into the final thing I want to cover before we wrap up, which is about belonging. Um, and unapologetic authenticity is where I want to take this. But the, the interim question is a hypothetical we don't have to spend too much time on it, but it just came up for me. Do you think if we were to reboot like humanity, like meaning like mm-hmm. let's start over, we have no historical legacy of the things that have been passed on us. We're just like kind of starting from scratch. Would we inevitably develop into these same systems of discrimination and oppression? Or do you think possibly like if we had the, I guess the, like the, the riches and wonder of technology and the marvels of today, if we would, uh, if we would fall back into the old patterns or if we would build it, start it. Like if we were to get rid of the historical legacy of some of I was going to say, that's where it's at, yeah. I mean, like if you could reboot that, do you think that we would inevitably fall back into the patterns or do you think that it would be like, oh, wow, that's all we had to do was just wipe that clean? (laughs) Uh, We're into like philosophy at this point. I was just going to say. We're no longer in DEI land. We're like, (laughs) Purely philosophy land, indulge. Yes, okay, indulge. Um, In my mind's eye, I would love that. I would absolutely love that if we could hit the reset button, but that does not um, 
there's always going to be free will yeah. and there's always going to be people who want power. And that's essentially what this is all about. This is what it's about historically. It's about what it is right now, right? Is there needs to be some pecking order that exists within society that says we somehow are better than others. We cannot have true parity. We cannot coexist in such a way that there is not a dominant and a submissive, right? There's the haves and the have nots. I don't know if that's just how we're intrinsically wired um, but there's always going to be that, um, I feel like. And so I don't know, um, could we minimize the atrocities that we see today and the things that we're experiencing? Um, possibly, but I think that unfortunately there will always be a segment of people who feel like there needs to be some superiority factor. And that's really what's at the core and the root of a lot of our ills in society overall is something has to be better than something else. I think I agree with you. I think I, I think I would mirror and echo probably most of what you said. Yeah. Right, talk about belonging and unapologetic authenticity, which is funny that like it took us this long in the episode to get to that part of it. But like one of the first things that I noticed, um, you know, when I, after we first met and I started looking into you is that you had DEIB on something. And I was like, yes. what's the B? And then I read more of your copy. I was like, oh, belonging. Got it. So it's interesting that you put that in there because as you were speaking today, you kind of alluded to the idea that when you have diversity, equity, and inclusion, you create environments of belonging. Yeah. So the, the intersection between that and unapologetic authenticity, can you, can you mm -hmm. talk about those two topics and why those are, because those are even, uh, you know, in terms of how you um, present yourself, those kind of even come before the DEI part, right? The DEI part is sort of like the punchline to like the setup, which is, unapologetic authenticity. Um, so talk a bit about the unapologetic authenticity part and the belonging part and how that factors into your work. Yeah. So um, I will say that as I have been on this journey with diversity, equity, inclusion, the one thing that consistently frustrated me over the years, um, even when I was at other organizations supporting ERGs, BRGs, et cetera, was this whole dynamic of not being able to truly be myself, right? Um, whether that was having to overthink uh, fundamental things before I even left the house. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Joe Motes once uh, from the Inclusion Cafe about that, about code switching and assimilation and all the things that I as a black woman had to think about before I even left the house in terms of how I was presenting at the workplace and the things that I would literally have to leave at the door of the office and pick back up on my way out because I did not feel like I could really be myself. Um, but once I got on the other side of corporate, it became even more important to me that like, I need to show up as who I am in this space. Like I need to be sure that I can be me without any of anybody else's stuff and the trappings of that in order to be as effective as I need to be in these organizations. And that's when I decided like, it's gotta come from a place of really just being and embracing unapologetic authenticity in its most fundamental state. So all of my, uh, you know, not just the intellect and the skills and the knowledge that I've acquired over the years, but the other parts that make Yvonne Yvonne, 
right? So whether that's my quirkiness, whether that's talking with my hands a lot, whether that's um, my enthusiasm, which you can see here on screen, you know, this is, this is me, but I always had to temper that down. Um, I always had to uh, box myself up for the workplace. And so for me, I want to encourage others that it's okay to be who you are. It's okay that the things that you know that you value most about yourself and that others who really do know you value most about you, um, it's okay to bring those parts of you to work. Because when you do that, you uncap so much more potential, so much more creativity. Um, so much more of uh, engagement and connection with folks. Some of the things that I loved most in terms of engaging with people in the workplace when we were still in the workplace um, and before I started my own company was when I could have really open, honest conversations with people where I could literally let down my hair, so to speak, and just do what we're doing right now. Um, and But that was not, that's not ideal oftentimes in the workplace. Um, we get, we're too afraid. We're afraid of what people will think. We're, we're afraid of how I might be seen and therefore penalized in opportunity, um, in growth potential, in salary, in ability to ascend within an organization. If I'm too uh, exuberant, if I'm too uh, direct and opinionated, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, I have to keep my, my thoughts to myself or else I'm an angry black woman, right? All of those other things that just kind of felt so incredibly confining um, that I got on the other side of it. And I was just like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm going to be fully me and people are going to get the fully Von Alston experience and some are going to like it and some are not. But I dare say um, that I think most will because what you will get and what you will glean and engage with is so authentic that you can't help but to want to uh, respond in kind. And that's, I'm interested in having authentic relationships. I and love so, that. I'm, I'm so 100% behind it. And in the brand work I do, that's ultimately what I'm trying to get to with brands is where they are unapologetically themselves. They are talking about the things that matter to them. They're communicating honestly, forthright, clear language, not trying to impress anyone, but just being themselves. And as someone who went from uh, feeling very awkward showing up to work in like a button down and, and, um, and you know, blazers and things like that, and I never felt like that was me, the, the minute that I decided to do my own thing and then just say, hey, this is the Superhero Institute and I wear superhero shirts every day. I, I, I uh, introduce myself as a superhero and I have never felt more on brand and more me. And I've noticed that people respond to it in a very positive way because like that is who you are. So I, I fully endorse the unapologetic uh, authenticity. Um, I love talking with you. I lose all track of time. I have no idea how long <laughs> you've been on this, but like I just, I could talk to you for hours. Um, but I guess I'm just going to have to have you back on like 20 more times so we can keep doing this. Uh, <laughs> please don't ever change who you are because I absolutely love the unapologetic you. And um, I just, I have such a blast talking with you. Oh, thank you. Likewise, Jeff. So I want to give you this last part of the show uh, just to um, tell people where they can go and be social with you. It's a chance for you to promote yourself. 
unabashedly and unashamedly just like sell yourself, tell people where they can get in touch with you, where they can buy from you, where they can hire you and bring you in. Because obviously, if you're doing DEI work and you are looking for someone to come in and open up people's heads and hearts, Yvonne is the person to do it. So Yvonne, do me a favor and just please unabashedly sell yourself at this moment. Tell people where to get in touch with you. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. So uh, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And that's uh, Yvonne Alston uh, there on LinkedIn. You can also uh, find out more about indelible impressions and my why behind what I do at www.indelible-consulting.com. Um, I'm also on social media. So definitely on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, under indelible impressions. Um, the last thing I would say is, you know, I just, I encourage people to be brave enough to look at the individual in the mirror, recognize who you are and all of the beautiful mosaic and intersectionality of who you are and allow that person to show up to life in all the various ways and areas of life each and every day. Um, I don't think that you will ever regret it um, unless you're a serial killer. So <laughs> other than that, be you, do you, uh, the world needs more people like you. Agree, 100%. All of that will be in the show notes. So you can just awesome. swipe uh, in either direction or up or whatever you do on your particular podcast app, or if you're listening on the website, shareablepodcast.com, it'll all be right there. Yvonne, thank you so much for coming on. Totally doing mm -hmm. this again. And um, I love the fact that we, we even talked for about 20 minutes before we even jumped on. So um, just love talking to you. It's been great. Um, I think the episode is fantastic. I think if I had to describe it in one word, I guess I would say it's shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.